Welcome to PwC IFRS Talks, your source of all things IFRS, technical accounting matters, business issues, current standard setting and regulatory updates. I'm your host, Ruth Preedy. In today's episode, we're going to talk to a topic close to my heart, which is intangible assets. And I'm joined by one of our old favourites, Mary Dulson. Welcome back, Mary. I, I think I'm going to take exception to the old. <laughs> old favourites, <laughs> as in you've been in the studio lots. Okay, fine. Right. But I'm young. <laughs> Very young. We've and started. We've started. Okay, I'm not agreeing with that one. We started on a bad note. <laughs> Anyway, to accounting, which obviously is what our listeners are listening in for, we're going to talk about intangibles. So I suppose what we normally do is start off at the top, like what is an intangible asset? Okay. An intangible asset is an identifiable, a non-monetary resource without physical substance. Okay, we're done? Can we stop now? Yeah, your no. brain. <laughs> I need that. <laughs> All right. Examples are always easier with intangibles. Yeah. So... In a pharmaceutical company, the factory that you make the pills in is a physical asset, a tangible asset. The chemical formula, the patents, the protection, the permission to make the drugs, the inspection of the facility, all of those are the intangibles that actually contribute the real premium cash flows to the product. So factory is tangible, all of the other stuff, intangible, right? The right to collect rubbish in Phnom Penh was one of my favorite queries of all time. That's an intangible asset. In fact, today we call it a service concession, but this is a really old query. And not the trucks that you use to actually drive around and collect the rubbish. So the right to do it, which you would evidence via a legal agreement or something like that, that's the intangible. The trucks, tangible. If you go to the movies, the film is, even though it's got physical form, although increasingly that's digital so much, yeah. Yeah. used to be great big canisters and you know rolls of reels of film it's not the actual thing that's not the physical thing it's the intellectual property of the film the intangible asset cinema you're sitting in that's yeah. the tangible bit yeah okay so you can't touch it brand name is all you know one of the things yeah classic talk about, yeah. isn't it okay so i think we understand what what an intangible asset is in accounting world, the key thing is, like, where do people go? And we've it, only got 20 minutes. We only got 20 minutes. Oh. <laughs> okay. So we won't do the long list. We'll do the short list. I think the the most common misconception is just because a company spends money and expects future benefits, it doesn't make it an asset. So advertising, for example, isn't an asset. As soon as an advertisement is created, right, and finished and ready to be shown, it's expensed, right? Because... I might, again, it's not the physical copy of the advertising, it's the, I've spent the resources and I'm going to show it maybe in the future, that's just a deferral of, of but I've spent money, it's gone. Yeah. And actually the standard even pulls that one out as an example, yeah. isn't an intangible Yeah, and, and I think there's actually been a specific IFRIC on that one, right? Or uh, Promotional goods, yeah. Yeah, promotional. promotional goods recently, yeah. 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 So advertising, catalogs, free goods, in fact... Anything that you spend on a brand that you own is expensive. Most valuable brands in the world, Coca-Cola is the classic yeah, example. Yeah. Apple, how cool is that? You know, Ferrari, right? Yeah. It's not about the physical thing. It's about the brand, right? Yeah. None of those brands are probably on balance sheet. Yeah. Right? Every dime that gets spent on them is expensive. Wow, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But if I went and was able to buy Ferrari, right, as a brand name, and I just bought the brand, or if I was able to buy Coca-Cola and I just bought the brand name, I could put it on my balance sheet because I acquired it separately. Therefore, 
let's think it's paragraph 25, separately acquired intangible assets, probability is factored into measurement, someone else sold it to me, I can put it on the balance sheet. Yeah, it's one of the things I, that I think people that don't, you know, sit and read the IFRS book all day, like mm-hmm. we do, struggle with. Because if you pay money for an intangible, you get to book it. But mm-hmm. if it's yours and you've made it up yourself, it, it's just hidden. You no, know, it's just sitting there. Yeah. 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 I mean, and it is an asset. That's the other way that people go wrong. Yeah. I just haven't given it accounting recognition. So it's my intangible asset. So Coca-Cola with the red, because there's a specific color. I've forgotten what it's called. There's a name yeah. for it. What A name for the red. There's a name for the red, right? That's on nobody's balance sheet. There you go. And it's probably going slightly off the accounting topic a little bit. Do you think that those intangibles should be on the balance sheet at, say, fair value? <laughs> every quarter? <Yeah. laughs> Revisited every People quarter? would love it. Yeah. Full Employment Act for valuers. Don't right? get me on the board. <laughs> I don't think that's investors would think that was useful information. They want to know. Partly because nobody ever realizes their brand or it's seldom that you realize your brand. They want to know how much it costs a consumer products company or an electronics company or even to some degree a luxury comp- luxury brand like Chanel. They want to know how much it costs to prop up the brand because if you don't spend on your brand, it starts to deteriorate, right? So they want to know how much that costs because that's cash outflow and that's really what investors are, are interested in. And the way that you can kind of really see that is that the first thing companies start putting in alternative performance measures when they do them is they take out amortization of intangibles and stuff like that. Because again, it's not about cash. I mean, it's about cash I spent in the past. So I I wonder if that's, you know, investors are a little bit simple-minded. But it really is what's the current cash flow to keep the business because that's the cash flow you need to generate the, the revenue, right? Yeah. So that's really what investors are interested. I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon. Although it probably would allow you to achieve David Tweedy's dream, which is the book value of the company and the market value of the company would then be the same. Because the easiest way to get to what's the brand value of Apple would be market cap, less net assets equals brand value. (laughs) Maybe a balancing figure somewhat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A balancing figure in the billions, right? Okay, so sorry, went off slightly there. Just interested to see, you know, if you thought anything of that topic. So back to the what people do wrong. So mm-hmm. the first thing is they think they can capitalize stuff that aren't intangibles. Yep. What's the, what are any other things you see? Unit of account. You know me. I can reduce, That's always an issue. <laughs> I can reduce any technical question to scope, unit of account, or consolidation. Right. Unit of account in intangibles is very problematic because intangibles, by their nature, you only pay for things that are special and unique yeah so one pharma company buys another pharma company they might acquire hundreds of different intangibles each of them is unique you cannot do them as a portfolio so say you bought another pharma company and they had 10 drugs in development yeah and basically you sit there and stare at them and wait for them to finish right Mm -hmm. and then they generate cash flows and you start to amortize them or they go bad and you write them off yeah so as a cfo of a pharma company of my acquaintance said once he's like why am i only accounting for bad news and i said well the alternative is to fair value all of them he's like no 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 bad bad (laughs) he's like i'll go on accounting for the bad news (laughs) he said but the portfolio and i said are they the same no not the thing that makes intangibles valuable is the fact that they are unique do you recognize apple brand anytime you see it yeah yeah exactly that's yeah. exactly what they want. Yeah. It's unique. It doesn't look like anything. Else. Yeah. Even my four-year-old daughter spots the apple. There's an apple. There's an apple. <laughs> <laughs> That's pervasive. Right? Yeah. So 
so that so it's hard to do a kind of portfolio approach to intangible assets. And in business combinations, one of the once we broke people of putting everything in goodwill, now you tend to see a lot of customer relationships. Yeah, definitely. Customer relationships are always amortizing. As I heard Wayne Carnell say once, yeah. customers die. <laughs> you cannot have an indefinite life. Yeah. In so yeah, so it's got a finite life. Right? Although I did hear a talk the other day that said like we're going to live till 300. So maybe the lives might be going up. <laughs> I don't know. But the point about the even individual customers, someday you're no longer going to be a customer. Yeah. More importantly, companies don't live forever anymore. Right. So if you, there's been some very significant enforcement actions recently, one of them against a company that bought a specialty engineering company, so acquired it, and it had about 20 big clients. And they said, okay, we've been doing business with those people for a while, and what we do is really cool and special, so we're going to deem them to be a portfolio of customer relationships, and it's going to have an indefinite useful life. And their regulator took a very different view and said, first, they are unique because each customer had different attributes. (laughs) And because it was such a specialized thing that they did, they weren't even delivering the same product to each of them. So one of the things people don't realize about oil field services is how much technology is moving it forward and how much people are starting to use artificial intelligence and drones and really, really taking technology into the hostile environments that is oil and gas. So they were doing these really, you know, doing this kind of stuff. And each of those installations was unique. And the regulators said, each of your customers is unique. And so therefore you're going to amortize each customer relationship over the churn. And by the way, if you lose a customer, you have to write off that customer related intangible. I think it also drives things like useful lives. Those contracts won't all have exactly the same end date. So your amortization, you know, is going to be different. So you probably have two customer intangibles for each one. So you'd have the contract, right? So kind of the premium cash flow in the contracts that you had at the date of the acquisition, as well as you'd have the customer relationship itself. Yeah. And the customer relationship, I think you could probably do over the average customer relationship period. Maybe it's five years or seven years or 10 years. But it's a number, right? Yeah. And it's a number less than 20, I would guess. The contract is obviously limited to the period of the contract. Yeah. So, so yeah, unit of account is always yes. always an issue. I've seen that with intangibles as well from a disposal perspective. Yes. So if you buy, you know, you acquired a piece of IP. Mm-hmm. And in pharmaceuticals, you might say, sell that off in the future. Mm-hmm. And if you sold off a piece of it, like America or mm-hmm. an indication, mm-hmm. there's nothing really in the standard that tells us. Yes. How do we deal with that unit of account issue? Probably their error, if there was one, was at initial recognition. Yeah. Because if you buy, say, a branded pharmaceutical product today that's still in patent is producing premium cash flows. Yeah. Those premium cash flows, actually, you would know where the biggest chunks of those premium cash flows are. And North America, because the U.S. is probably the most lucrative market for, for patented drugs, North America, the U.S. and Canada would be a big single like line in the, in the valuation model yeah. almost. So yeah. you would know how much of that value of that intangible came from the North American piece. Yeah, it's so identifiable. You could, you could probably go back. It's yeah. identifiable, and you could sell control of it to somebody. Right? Yeah. So if the company said, I'm going to sell you the rights to manufacture and market 
this particular drug in North America, I think you must de-recognize. I think you must de-recognize something, right? Yeah. And then the standard doesn't tell you how to de-recognize, but I would yeah. look at the building blocks that created the intangible in the yeah. first place and go back and look at which one I wanted to. Like you said, they sort of cut off a slice of those human yeah. cash flows, so you'd expect some sort of de If I can identify the slice, I yeah. think I have to de-recognize some of the intangibles. Yeah. One of the other things that you see with intangibles is people will sell a piece of the cash flows, yeah. right? And that actually is a different... Kettle of fish altogether. <laughs> exactly. Uh, because if I sell you the rights to manufacture and make that drug in North America, I basically, I've lost control of it mm. and I've given that control to you and it's identifiable and you can enforce those rights against other people. Yeah. Right? If I said to you, give me a billion dollars and I will give you 25% of the net cash flows of this product worldwide after manufacturing, marketing, and whatever, you know, maybe even tax, right? Now, yeah. right? All you've done is loan me money. Yeah. Right? And essentially... That is a securitization of future cash flows. And it is no different than a securitization of receivables or, you know, people do commodity back loans. Yeah. yeah. It, it's an it's asset back finance. Yeah, right? yeah. Easy and an easy one to miss. It is. It is. Because well. it's, you know, it's expressed differently and described differently. But, and, and the amount to be repaid is not known yeah. at that date. But nobody's going to give you a billion dollars without an expectation that they're going to get their billion back, plus the cost of finance, at least. Plus some interest. Plus some interest, (laughs) exactly. So we're already coming towards the end of our thing. So last topic, one thing that's been discussed lots over the years at the Mm IFRIC, is this variable consideration. It's PP&E and intangibles, but we're on intangibles today. Yeah. Just can you give us a little bit of what can you actually do and is the board going to do anything with it? I don't think the board's going to do anything with it because they are not good at grappling with the liability question. And fundamentally, this is a liability question. Yeah. Right? So how do I, what, what is variable consideration and how does it arise? You sell me something today, right? Yeah. And we can't agree on how much it's actually worth, right? Or maybe I don't yeah. have the cash to pay you what you think it's actually worth. So you say, okay, I'll give it to you for a hundred million, right? And then if the following good thing happens, you pay me another hundred million. Right? Yeah. Or if this drug gets to commercialization, so I go through all the patent and I start yeah. to sell it to people, you give me $500 million, yeah. right? So, But whatever the... If it's a verifiable outcome, right? So yeah. you something happens that you can see and touch, then I'll give you some more money, yeah. right? Today, under the standards and the given the agenda decisions and stuff we have, we would say, at initial recognition, debit asset, credit cash, yeah. right? You could, if you wanted to, estimate the amount you're eventually going to pay, probability adjusted, blah, 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 yeah. debit asset, credit financial liability. Yeah. Nobody does that. Yeah. What companies do is they say, when it looks like they're going to have to pay, right? So the good thing happens, they, yeah. they're going to pay the $100 million, debit asset, credit liability, right? Or credit cash, off the money goes. Yeah. And we would say that because it's a verifiable outcome, I haven't just outsourced my R&D to you, you know, you're not providing me services, yeah. you're on the beach, <laughs> then that's okay, debit asset, credit cash. Yeah. And if somebody does book a financial liability, what do you do with the changes in the financial liability? I think once you do financial liability, all changes are financing. But I do think there's a, an argument, a school of thought, that says you could put those changes on the balance sheet. Yeah, and I think when it went to the IFRIC, both they discussed both those, didn't they? Yeah. Initial and subsequent. Yeah. 
and subsequent they did talk actually they actually sort of solved that bit first yeah right? and like, said, actually subsequently you maybe yeah. could capitalize some of those as long as it's mm-hmm. not just interest mm-hmm. capitalize that as mm-hmm. part of the asset so we do have all these policy choices in here yes. which is then you know yeah but i think that frequently cash. yeah when it's essentially virtually yeah not looking not looking at financial liability on day one yeah. okay yeah. i think it is in like deep down in the list of long-term research projects at the board but mm-hmm. let's let's see if that ever happens. I, I think, you know, a, a little bit on the conceptual question. I don't think that's an asset question at all. That yeah. is fundamentally a Is there a liability? It's a, it's a question about liabilities. Yeah. And if you think about the things that the board doesn't seem to be able to solve, yeah. fundamentally yeah. it's a liability question, yeah. right? Equity. It's yeah. a liability question. Provisions. We can't, like, we can't all agree on what yeah. IS-37 means, right? So, yeah. so I think that this... This is I, why we work in assets. <laughs> i just realized... <laughs> We keep away Great career choice. Yeah. 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 So, so I, I, I don't think that there's any prospect for them solving that anytime yeah. soon. Okay, brilliant. So I think that's a really good summary of some of the issues you see, Mary, in practice with intangibles. And we both tend to work in pharma, so we see we see these lots. That's why it's some dear to my heart. Uh, we've come to the end of our 20 minutes. I could keep talking to you. I'm sure we'll have you back. We could have a part... 20 on intangibles really couldn't we so if anyone wants more information on intangibles there's plenty on our website please go to pwc.com forward slash ifrs i've been your host ruth preedy happy accounting the preceding program was brought to you by price waterhouse coopers llp this content is for general information purposes and is not a substitute for consultation with professional advisors.